Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Thanks for joining us today on Impactability. Great conversation today. Recently, if you remember, we did a podcast on collaboration where two or more like-missioned nonprofits combine their talents and resources for the greater good. And this got us to thinking about other collaborations, especially the kind where a for-profit and a nonprofit look to collaborate. Is this even possible? Well, answer to that is yes, it is. The doors and opportunities that it can open can be extremely beneficial to both, and that's part of our discussion today. There's lots of reasons why this looks good on paper and can even be better from a collaboration standpoint, but this might be something that is totally left a field for you and your nonprofit. So we're going to peel back the layers a little bit and see what this is all about, how it might work for you. Our guest today is Kelly Jackson. She's the co-founder of RadicalPurpose.org, a nonprofit that promotes co-owned, co-managed collaboration among groups that want to have a significant impact in their communities and the world. I love that. Kelly's background is in law, specializing in employment law, drafting and negotiating contracts, and mediation. She's a graduate of Georgetown and the University of Iowa, and that followed several years serving in the U.S. Army as a bomb squad commander. This is going to be quite the conversation. Kelly, welcome to Impactability. Well, Joe, thanks for having me today. First of all, Kelly, thank you for your service to our country. We appreciate that. I have to say that I was blown away when I visited the Radical Purpose website. Can you tell us the story of how you came up with the idea? What is the genesis of your organization? As an employment discrimination lawyer, I saw a lot of dysfunction in corporations, how things weren't working, and it wasn't necessarily discrimination. It was poor management, poor treatment of people. And I was coming at it from that side of things. But there's a lot of people around the world who were trying to look at how do we remake work so that it works for everyone. If you think about how many people are disengaged and just actually walking out of the workforce today since COVID, you can see there's a lot of people that aren't happy in that situation. And we were coming together from around the world trying to look at that problem. And so we started, we wanted to start right back at the very beginning. What is it fundamentally that we could do differently from what's going on now? And we looked at the world today and it all seemed to start from rules and regulations. When you start a corporation or even if you start a nonprofit entity, you start with those rules, those regulations, you look at what the government requires of you. And from there, then you give everybody a certain role in the organization and they're constrained within those roles. And the whole system is dominating us. It's not based on who we are and what we want to put into the world. So we wanted, we wanted to switch that and start with, we, we found looking at things from the very beginning that we all have our certain essence. We have an innate needs. And part of those needs are, obviously we have basic needs of food, water, a house over our heads but we also have needs to make an impact in the world. Like your podcast, Impactability. We all want that. We all wanna have meaning in our lives. We wanna see that what we do 
is making an impact out there. And so when we come together around those needs, then we can make our own rules that work so that we can make that impact and that purpose happen in the world. And it doesn't matter if it's a for-profit company or a not-for-profit company. If we start on the basis of that and really put that purpose out in the forefront and our needs out in the forefront, then we can have a much bigger collaborative collective impact together. Very radical, right? Very radical purpose. And radical purpose by that, we mean each of us having a radical purpose within ourselves. And it innately motivates us to do things in the world. And how powerful is that if we can come together around those and collaborate around that? Absolutely. Let me quote from your website something that really resonated with me. It said, the future of work does not start with changing practices. It starts with the understanding and shifting away from the paradigm we work and live within. What is the paradigm shift that you're referring to with that? We looked at the way we're working now as more of a forced paradigm. People are forced into certain roles, you're forced into working in general just so that you can live and survive. And if you really look at things, you can see how much force there actually is out there. You're not defining your role in the workplace. Someone else is defining it for you. They're defining certain silos that you have to work within and certain things that you have to do. We want to just flip that. Instead of having a force paradigm, we want a needs paradigm. Let's start with each of our needs. Look at the context that we want to operate within and figure out how do we come together and build tools that fit that. Instead of starting with the tools, let's, let's understand what those needs and purposes are that we're trying to do and make some tools that fit the collaboration that we want to have to put out the impact we want in the world. So it sounds like you're trying to redefine the world of work a little bit. Absolutely, yes. And I think with what's going on in the world right now with the great resignation, you can see something needs to be done. How is that reflected in how we think of the distinctions between for-profit and nonprofit entities? In our mind, when you switch this paradigm around and you start looking at, well, what are my innate needs? The focus then is on what's, what's the purpose of me? What's my essence? What is it I'm out there to do? And there is a purpose and we're collaborating around that purpose. And not-for-profits are used to thinking in that manner. What's this purpose I'm trying to do in the world? And how can I do that through my nonprofit? In the for-profit world, it was always start with, well, how am I gonna make some money on this? How am I gonna pay back my shareholders and my investors? And they became the object and legally the object of how you had to think. And if what you were doing wasn't the most beneficial for the shareholders, the shareholders could actually come back and sue you. So now when people are starting businesses now, they're actually trying to determine what that why is, what the purpose is for the entity. And you see a lot more of Tom Shoes who are building a company with the hope to do some sort of purposeful thing out in the world. And there's a lot of companies that wanna start with purpose. And when we look at these companies that are starting from a new, newer paradigm about the needs and purpose in the world, they are putting purpose at the very top. They're not putting the shareholders at the very top. They want to put purpose up there. And when they do that, then everything that they do should be a reflection of that purpose. So if there's a question of, do I invest in this or do I invest in that? Well, what's going to be the impact on 
the purpose that we want to have in the world. Do we want to hire this person or that person? Well, are they in alignment with that purpose that we want to have in the world? And so for-profit companies are shifting their thinking to be a lot by not-for-profit companies. And in the legal world, they're being allowed to do that now because there's, there's different ways they can form. I don't know the exact number of states now, but it's at least 33 states that allow benefit corporations. And a benefit corporation is legally structured so that it does not have to primarily take the shareholders' interest in whatever they do. They can look at, well, what's the impact on my employees? What's the impact on my vendors? What's the impact on the environment? And of course, what, what's the larger impact on my customers? They can't be sued by the shareholder because they didn't take the shareholder's interest as the number one interest when they were making decisions. And you also have now something called perpetual purpose trusts. Say that fast three times. And a perpetual purpose trust, these came out of where someone might've died with pets and they made a perpetual purpose trust for the purpose of their pets. And the pets had to be, someone was appointed as the trustee and the purpose had to be for the care of the pets. Well, people looked at that and said, well, why can't we use that to overcome some of the problems we see in corporate America where I'm trying to have a more purposeful company, but someone comes in and buys me up and changes that. So how do you stop that from happening? So now we have a perpetual purpose trust where I can make a specific purpose for this trust and the trust hires the employees and is the owner of the company and everything is for the benefit of the trust. And so once again, it's not whoever put the money in first that gets the benefit from the company. It's whatever that purpose trust is about. So what are some of the implications of this for the nonprofit world? Joe, I think it really starts to change the nonprofit world because of a couple of things. One, a lot of employees that work for nonprofits, they believe that if they wanna have a purpose in the world, the only way they can do it is, to, is through a nonprofit company. But that's changing. And so nonprofits have to realize their employees will have other places they can get their needs met. And so they have to start rethinking their relationship with their employees also, because it's been very hierarchical too. You have, you have your executive director, you have your board, and they generally make the decisions and roll them down to the employees and tell the employees what to do. And the employees don't necessarily have the autonomy or the ability to really see that they're having a particular impact. They're having it right now an impact by fulfilling whatever the board and the executive director are asking them to do, but they don't really have a larger impact beyond that. And people are wanting to have that now. And they're starting to get that in some corporations that are more co-managed, allowing distribution of decisions down further because they know that the person down nearer the problem sees it better. And if they're aligned with the purpose, their decisions that they make down at their level will be aligned with the purpose. So how do you fix that though? Part of that I think is some nonprofits might do better as a, as a perpetual purpose trust. So you might wanna start rethinking, well, what is my governance and why is it the way it is? 
do I have to do it this way? Mm -hmm. And also you can, as an executive director and as a board, you can give away some of your power. The way it's structured suggests that you have to have it. The way our beliefs are about hierarchy and who's best to make decisions suggests that they should be made at the top. But all the research, all the data shows that if you are aligned around purpose and you hire people that are aligned around the purpose, you can give them more power and autonomy where they are. They'll be happier, they'll be more engaged. They see more of an impact for themselves and the whole nonprofit will function at a higher level. We're speaking with our guest, Kelly Jackson, co-founder of RadicalPurpose.org. And our discussion centers around new types of collaboration and how your nonprofit could benefit from possibly partnering with a for-profit entity. We'll take a short pause right here, but when we come back, we're going to start getting into some of the new possibilities, blockchain, crypto. What is that and how is that impactful for your nonprofit? Stay tuned for that conversation. You are listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner. We're going to be right back. One of the biggest challenges facing nonprofits today is securing grants. Where do I find information on grants? How do I write a grant? And how do I submit the grant? And then, of course, the dreaded midnight deadlines. Hi, I'm Teresa Stos, and I have been there and done that. At Sukup Strategic Solutions, we have a team of expert grant writers with years of experience writing hundreds of grants for nonprofits just like yours. Visit our website today at SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation about your grant writing needs. That's S-O-U-K-U-P strategicsolutions.com. Let's work together and get the grant that your nonprofit deserves. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Coming up, another edition of Coach's Corner, so stay close by for that. Right now, we're speaking with our guest, Kelly Jackson, talking about new types of collaboration, how your nonprofit could benefit from partnering with a for-profit entity, and vice versa, I might add. And Kelly, we're talking about some of the new possibilities. Let's talk about blockchain and crypto and some of the new things that are happening that are having an impact on the nonprofit world. Can you get into a little bit of that for us? It's fascinating what's going on in the world of crypto and blockchain. For those who haven't dove too deeply into it, I think we've all heard of Bitcoin which is a cryptocurrency that sits on top of a blockchain, which is a platform technology. What's changing with that is that there's new ways of organizing based on on the blockchain. And I don't think we have time to delve really deeply into it. But my suggestion is, if you're in the nonprofit world, start looking into some of these organizations that are building on this platform. Right now there's decentralized autonomous organizations built out on the blockchain. And if you've noticed, they're building their own tokens, their own crypto, their own money, and they can just as easily be for a nonprofit entity. And so organizations that are doing this are finding they can onboard employees very quickly. They can establish that everything done has to be for a certain purpose. And so nonprofits are starting to be attracted to this and wondering about the possibilities that are in there. 
One thing that's already starting to happen, if you've heard of NFTs, non-fungible tokens, why couldn't you do that for a more purposeful purpose? Put out something where people can make your donation. They get an, an NFT, a non-fungible token, where it identifies them as someone who has this purpose that your organization is sponsoring. And it's a way of making a donation. It's a way that the person can identify as someone in support of your organization. It brings you in funds. And it also gets people that are more excited about the organization and perhaps want to stay more engaged and become involved in your organization. And then on the, on the blockchain, it allows you some new and different ways to maintain that engagement and keep people excited about what you're doing. This is all brand new. There's people that are trying to build out platforms just for nonprofits on the blockchain, make it easier to take in donations and cheaper to take in donations. A lot of what the blockchain does is take out middlemen. And so more of the money would come into and stay with the nonprofit. So there's no perfect answers in that world yet, but there's going to be some interesting things happening and things that could really help out a nonprofit fulfill their purpose in the world. So it's something to keep an eye on. You know, Kelly, before we go any further, let's back up a step. Give our listeners a definition of blockchain. A blockchain is, it's a platform technology that allows you to maintain a ledger in a public way, which is another way it actually helps nonprofits to ensure that their funds are being spent appropriately because everybody can see what you're spending the money on. So any token purchased and any token spent is recorded and anybody can look at that. So you're not going to have anybody that's expropriating funds inappropriately and your donors can see exactly where the money goes, which donors a lot of times are more interested in. They don't want so much going into administration and the blockchain should be able to lower your administrative fees. And don't we like the sound of lowering fees? That sounds great. <laughs> what are some organizations that are doing this? Do you know of any? There's some that are combining what they're doing with blockchain. Most of it now, the charities, the funds that are being raised are going towards promoting blockchain, educating people about blockchain. So there's an organization called GitHub, G-I-T-H-U-B that takes in funds and then anyone who has a token on GitHub can vote on where those funds should go. And those, they're all going to promote blockchain or doing educational things around blockchain. And which is another interesting alley for a nonprofit. The people who are donating the money can actually vote on where they wanna see it go, what types of projects they would like to see you do with the money that they're giving you, which is a whole nother way to engage the people that are either volunteering or, or providing funds for you. What are some things that nonprofits listening to our program today uh, should keep an eye out for? What, what are some things they should be looking out for, not just positive, but negative? The negative things, if you start looking at blockchain and crypto, there's still a lot of scams out there. And if you don't, have a lot of knowledge in that area, I think it can be taken advantage of. It's probably not the time to jump in quite yet, but in a year or two, 
things should become more systemized. They should become more known about the possibilities. I think it's a great place to be watching and to see what's, what's starting to happen. Sounds like we're going to come back to this topic in about four, five, six months' time and see where things have progressed since this conversation. Things are moving fast. So I would guess in six months there will be some, some actual organizations that you can point to that are really starting to work and figure out how they, this can work to the benefit of a nonprofit organization. Any legal issues that people should be aware of? That's part of the problem with the blockchain, too. It's because it's so new, the legal issues have not necessarily been decided. Where the blockchain exists is a question. Normally, you have to file your bylaws and you, you have to be a part of some state and to file your nonprofit. Well, the blockchain doesn't really sit in one state. And so there's some legal questions around that that haven't been resolved as to where this thing exists physically. Um, there's also legal questions about who's an employee in some of these, because you can set it up so that if somebody contributes some work or does something for you, that they automatically get a certain payment. Well, are they an employee? How do you, how do you account for that? If it's somebody in a different country, how do you account for that? So there are a lot of legal issues. And they need to be solved. They will be solved. But it will bring us to a different place where we can be more purpose-oriented and we can have more impact in the world because of this new technology. Interesting. And that's where for-profits and non-profits can kind of work with each other to kind of push through, correct? I think what it does, it, it starts to make it so there's not a real distinction necessarily between for-profit and not-for-profit. Because when you make it so that you're only interested in the shareholder, that means we need to pay our employees the least amount possible so we can pay our shareholder more. We need to extract more resources from the environment at the cheapest possible cost, and then we can pay our shareholders more. So some ways, corporations, the way they're structured currently, cause a lot of problems in the world that the nonprofits want to fix. What happens when these for-profits finally see that? They're seeing that they can be part of the solution too. The two things merge. And hopefully the for-profit world will look to the experts from the nonprofit world, how they can have that bigger impact and how they can do it correctly without having other issues pop up. For instance, Tom's Shoes, they were giving away free shoes in different African countries thinking, oh, we're doing this wonderful, wonderful thing. We're giving everybody shoes. What could be wrong with that? Well, they killed the local shoe industry and a lot of lot jobs were lost in the local villages and things. I think if you bring in more of the nonprofit world and the knowledge there and combine the two, you won't have those kind of situations. Really interesting topic. I, as I said a few moments ago, I want to come back to this topic in a couple of months to see where we're at. But I think you raised some really, really interesting points and a lot of, of food for thought for our listeners today. Kelly, I so appreciate your time spending it with us here today on Impactability. Thank you so much for your expertise. Well, it's been fun, Joe. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> 
Time now for another edition of Coach's Corner where we take the questions that you send us and we ask our impact coaches for their answers. And the questions you send us can be about absolutely anything from A to Z. If it's just something you need another opinion on, send it to us. If you really are stumped on something, want our advice, send it to us. That's what Coach's Corner is all about. Today, we've got a grants question. So we brought in our grants expert, Teresa Stowes. Teresa, this is a fantastic question. And I know you probably hear this one a lot. Very simple question. Teresa, how do I develop relationships with funders. Sounds like a simple enough question, but Teresa, you and I both know there's a lot of layers to unravel on this one. So remember, on Coach's Corner, you got five minutes to answer the question. Your five minutes begins right now. You're right, Joe. It's not a clear-cut question and answer, but I'm going to give you my best shot at it. So how do you develop relationships with grant funders? Well, first, you need to do your homework. If they're a nonprofit, they will likely be listed in GuideStar. It'll not only provide some basic information about the funder, but most importantly, it will also include their past 990s. IRS Form 990 is the annual return of an organization that is exempt from paying income tax. So all uh, nonprofits that have received funding over $50,000 have to do a Form 990. You pour through it. At first, it's overwhelming because it's pages long. But you go into it and you're going to be able to see the organization's financials, how much money they have, how much money they gave last year. You're going to be able to find out about their leadership, Joe. And that's really important. You're going to be able to identify key staff and what they make. So that kind of gives you a sense about where they are in the pecking order of the organization. And you're also going to get a list of board members. Plus, And this may be one of the most important parts, a list of the grants they made the year of the 990. And that's a great way to go in and figure out are the things they're funding things similar to what you do. You can also get more of that information by looking at their website, if they have a website. You can Google them to see what news releases you can find out about prior gifts And then also, don't be afraid to Google key staff and use LinkedIn. It is a fabulous tool for finding out things about lots of people. So after you've done that, you've got some research under your belt, and that's going to go a long ways towards receiving your funding. So after you have all this information, what do you do with it? Well, first of all, you share the organization's board list with your board especially for local and regional funders. They may know someone on the organization's board that can provide you with additional information. Ah, there's another relationship. Reach out, try to call or email when that information is provided. Start developing your request with a call. Ask for guidance. Sometimes a program officers and family foundation members are really happy to talk with you. Sometimes others are not. And if they say don't call, you can try to call, but don't be surprised if you leave a message that you never hear anything back. If they're local, you want to invite them in for a site visit or offer to meet them at their office or their favorite coffee spot. What you really want to do is try to find commonalities between you and them and your organization and their funding priorities. 
after the application, if you have a contact, let them know you've applied and thank them for their help. Ask when you can expect to hear back if it's not posted in the application guidelines. Sometimes there's kind of a two-prong approach to grants. You start with a letter of intent, an LOI, and then if they like that, they'll invite you to submit a full application. If so, reach out and thank them for the opportunity again and ask for guidance. Once you submit your application and you've received notice that it's been either accepted or rejected, thank them. I once heard that a rejection is the beginning of the relationship, so don't give up. It's important to keep the relationship alive. Check in from time to time, provide them with updates, and include invitations to events. I had developed a relationship a long time ago with a bank's charitable trust director. And from time to time, he was over a lot of trust. And so from time to time, he would call me if it looked like the applications were low and I might have an extra opportunity. It was always last minute, which was stressful, but I almost always received funding. Well, Joe, that's my take on things. I hope this helps your listeners understand how to go about developing relationships with their grant funders. That is absolutely great advice, Teresa. I knew we asked the right person the right question. Thank you so much for being on Coach's Corner today. You're welcome, Joe. If you've got a question for Coach's Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.